It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Smith rifles that one to Mims. And that's a foot race. He's going to win. Touchdown, Baylor. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Five straight games, Anthony, where he's got a touchdown catch of over 20. That's deflected and picked up Mosey. He'll take it in. It's a pick six and a touchdown. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder. 85 yards. There was contact with a quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know and what? it's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And it's the middle of the week, which means it's time for Midweek with Manish. Manish Mehta covering the New York Jets for the Daily News. Manish, at the top of the show, we've got some breaking news, apparently, about New Jersey and the restrictions they have on sports teams. Right. The uh, New Jersey governor uh, has released a statement saying that all professional sports teams in New Jersey can return to training and even competition uh, depending on what their league's parameters are. So what that means is that the Giants and the Jets can open up their buildings uh, in accordance to the NFL policy, which states that coaches are still not allowed in the building, but you can have personnel, uh, presumably front office personnel, and players who are not healthy, so players who are rehabbing injuries, those guys can get into the building. Uh, But remember, the NFL does have that policy that says that no coaches are allowed in their facilities until all the coaches of all 32 teams are permitted by their states. So uh, the Jets are still in a wait-and-see mode in that respect, but uh, they can bring in some people into the building for the first time, and any players who are rehabbing injuries can – be allowed to use the the facilities for the Jets in Florham Park. Uh, you would presume that the the general manager and some front office personnel would be allowed in the building as well. But uh, the the healthy players are still not allowed in the building. Coaching staff, as of right now, not allowed in the building. So obviously, no practice sessions on the field. But this is a good uh, first step in in terms of getting reacclimated into getting back into the swing of things. Uh, I'll be curious to find out how long it actually takes for the, for every NFL team to open it, open its doors, because once that happens, then you can get coaches in there. Uh, I don't know when players will be uh, allowed in, but uh, you know, this is a necessary first step for the giants and the jets. Uh, you kind of saw this coming when over the weekend, uh, uh, New York did the exact same thing. And you know, that only applied to the Bills, of course, for the NFL, but uh, you had to know that New Jersey wasn't far behind, and uh, uh, it looks like uh, you know the doors are going to be opening for the Jets and the Giants soon. Manish, I know that the NFL has said that it was only going to be open for everybody or it was going to be open for nobody. There were going to be no unfair advantages, but if this had gone on much longer in New Jersey, was there any thought for the Jets and Giants, do you think, of moving over to New York at least temporarily so that they could get going? I think that the Jets were exploring all possibilities internally. Uh, I don't know how serious uh, any of that uh, got, but uh, but ultimately the plan was always to, to hope that the doors would open in their own building. 
Uh, I think they got a sense that that probably would happen after New York did. But if this became a protracted situation, uh, as I said before, I think uh, it'd be foolish, frankly, for the Jets, Giants, uh, any team not to you know explore other options. But uh, you know, thankfully for for the organization, the doors are opening up, and the the Jets are. Uh, going to adhere to the, the league policy. It's going to be an incremental opening. The floodgates aren't opening, but uh, you know, it, it's a, again, it's a, something that needed to happen in order for the desired goal to ultimately happen, which is to allow everyone in the building. And you know, they're not there yet, but at least some people will be allowed through the doors now. As you said, Manish, thankfully this didn't turn out to be a protracted situation hanging over the Jets' heads because they already have one of those with Jamal Adams. So let's talk about that for a second. Is there anything new especially going on with him? Not really, but I thought this thread from Charles Robinson over at Yahoo was really interesting. He wrote, Without a contract extension, Jamal Adams wants to be traded. The Jets prefer to keep him and extend him in 2021. If teams are interested in Adams, they can call, but the Jets are not going to shop him. His agent does not have the green light to set up a deal either. Teams must call. Sticking point on extension is simple. Guys like Aaron Donald and Khalil Mack played for four seasons and one defensive player of the year before their extensions. Jets don't want to do Adams' deal after three years for the highest paid safety money he wants. In 2021, it could be a different story. Adams' trade preference is the Cowboys, but that's not the only team he'd play for. There are others, but it's been clear for a while to the Jets he'd like to be close to his hometown, which is near Dallas. This feels a lot like the Earl Thomas crossroads with the Seahawks. The price for Adams may be more complicated than what was first reported by Michael Irvin. Irvin said a first and third round pick would get the deal done. That's correct, but last year's trade deadline mess involving Adams and the Cowboys left the Jets feeling burned. That could linger into the price point this time around. The Cowboys haven't called the Jets about Adams yet, and they face two possible financial hurdles if they deal for him. Either ask him to play on his rookie deal another year like Jalen Ramsey did with the Rams to get that deal done, or get Dak Prescott signed to a long-term deal. I firmly believe there is some family and emotion wrapped up in this. Adams has been upset since last season's trade deadline drama, and he's getting some strong trade advisement from his father, George, who was a former NFL running back and first-round pick. It is a little messy. And then yesterday, Jamal Adams does an Instagram chat where somebody is asking him to come to the Ravens, and he's speaking positively about the culture and about the way they do things over there, which to me is just Jamal Adams being Jamal Adams, and I think that he's just talking to talk in that instance. You and I were saying before we started recording that if they had asked him about virtually any team in the league other than maybe a handful that he really doesn't want to play for, he would have said positive things because he was put on the spot. But this to me, Manish, feels like, as Charles Robinson said, a situation where Adams wants his money now, The Jets want to keep him long-term, but they don't want to pay him until the end of this season. The Jets have a lot of leverage, but as you were saying before we started recording, Jamal Adams may have more leverage than people think he does. So let's unpack this. What do you think? How is this going to unfold? Because I personally feel that what's going to happen is there will be some noise, maybe even a threat of a holdout, but ultimately Adams will play this season for the Jets. And then in the offseason is when this will get figured out. Either they'll sign him or they'll trade him somewhere else. Is that where you're at with this? Well, uh, 
look, I, I don't think anything has changed over the last five months. I know that there's no sports, uh, not only NFL offseason, but no Major League Baseball, no basketball, no NHL. So, uh, you know, there needs to be some discussion points <laughs> uh, for a lot of people. Uh, what I'll tell you that is that nothing has changed from really even during last season. Like, none of the information that has been uh, discussed over the last, I don't know, three, four days is any different than, than anything that is that both sides have uh, been aware of. You know, this isn't... I guess this isn't breaking news in any sense at all. Jamal Adams wants to be the highest paid safety in the NFL. He wants to get paid, I guess, in a more general sense. He wants a contract extension. Everybody knew that. That had been discussed and reported ad nauseum for the better part of five months. Joe Douglas had said, I believe at the Combine, that he would circle back with Jamal Adams' representation after the draft. His focus at that point was free agency in the draft, and then then he would turn his sights on Jamal uh, after those, uh, you know, two parts of the off season were finalized, free agency check, draft check, and, and then he can turn his uh, attention toward Jamal Adams. That happened. So again, nothing is new. This is this is exactly what everybody has known about for nearly half of a year. Uh, the question becomes: uh, Are they willing to pony up the money that Jamal Adams believes that he deserves right now? I, I think that. Uh, you know, given that it's late May right now, the Jets don't feel any sense of urgency whatsoever. Uh, I think it's fairly obvious to anyone who has been following the the Jets and the NFL that Jamal Adams isn't particularly pleased, given the fact that he is not participating in the voluntary offseason program uh, with the rest of the team. Uh, this year it happens to be virtual. Uh, he's not... Uh, you know, skipping those workouts because he's happy. He's obviously uh, not happy with not getting a contract extension. So these are all facts that everyone is fully aware of. Uh, Another fact is that the Jets did, in fact, discuss trading Jamal Adams with the Dallas Cowboys. I believe, uh, I don't remember if, (laughs) to be honest with you, I don't remember if if Joe Douglas actually mentioned the Cowboys. I know that the Cowboys themselves maybe through social media, some avenue, and maybe you can can, uh, clear it up for me, Scott. But I remember the Cowboys had acknowledged Jamal Adams in some form or fashion Mm -hmm. at the trade deadline last year. So, um, you know, that link is out there, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody knows he lives in the Dallas area. I think he has come out and said that. uh, uh, Maybe he hasn't, but uh, I think maybe he has said that he grew up a Cowboy fan. I'm not exactly sure. But uh, anyway... Uh, all of these things are known. Uh, there, there's nothing new, uh, and there's nothing else to talk about, frankly. So unless you want to go blow by blow in a negotiation, uh, you're not really going to get that much information that's new. The next uh, key date, frankly, and this has always been the case since you know he started not attending these virtual off-season program uh, meetings, the next key date is training camp, well, whenever that is, you know, whether it's late July as initially scheduled or whether that gets pushed back because of the pandemic. Uh, the next key date is when will Jamal Adams or will Jamal Adams report when the mandatory training camp begins. Everything between now and then is largely immaterial unless he gets a deal. 
Uh, I, and I don't believe, uh, as of late May, that there's an indication that he's going to get a deal. So the question becomes, who has leverage? You know, the, the conventional wisdom is that the Jets have leverage because they have contractual control over Jamal Adams in 2020, the fourth year of his uh, rookie deal. They have contractual control over him in 2021 when they, uh, you know, pay him on the fifth-year team option. And then, in theory, they actually have control over him for the following two years if they want to slap the franchise tag both uh, in both of those years, 2022 and 2023. Uh, the bottom line is that they do have control over him uh, beyond this season. That's you know that's the, real, the the important point from a team perspective. From a player perspective, the the idea that he's going to lose an accrued season toward free agency is largely irrelevant for practical purposes. That means absolutely nothing. Technically, is that true? Yes. But are the Jets just not going to pay him over the next four years and say, well, you lost a year toward free agency, so we can, you know, for lack of a better phrase, screw you an additional year? That's not going to happen because there's going to be uh, an untenable angst between both parties, and neither Joe Douglas and the Jets nor Jamal Adams and his representatives want that to happen. Uh, what I can tell you is that if the Jets got – uh, you know, draft capital that was suitable for them to trade Jamal Adams, they can't simply just do that because Jamal Adams has a say in this matter. Uh, maybe not technically on paper, but the reality is that, that no team, whether it's the Cowboys or any other club that's interested in Jamal Adams, uh, would give up a, a one and a two, for example, or a one and a three, whatever the compensation may be. They would never give up that steep level of compensation without having an assurance that they have Jamal Adams locked up uh, with an extension. And the only way you can get an extension with the player is if the player agrees to an extension. So let's just say for argument's sake, and I don't mean to pick on the Bengals, but uh, let's just say for argument's sake, the Bengals are willing to give up uh, suitable draft compensation to the Jets, yet Jamal Adams has no desire to sign any kind of extension with Cincinnati. That, that, then that deal would never get done. So that pathway is closed for the Jets. So Jamal Adams does have leverage uh, to go where he wants to go for the next four or five years and to sign an extension with the team that he wants to sign an extension with. So getting the draft capital is only part of the equation. Having the player uh, agree to be traded to a place where he wants to sign long-term is the other part of the equation. So I, you know, this notion that Jamal Adams has no leverage is faulty. Uh, you know, I, I know what, what it says on paper. I know what the rules are on paper. But uh, for all intents and purposes... He absolutely has leverage, and he has a lot of it. He has leverage in a trade, but a lot less leverage in terms of what the Jets can do with him, though, right? Because theoretically, they have control over his rights for the next three years, don't they? Yes. Yeah, so, well, technically, you could tag him twice, so it could be longer than that. Mm -hmm. uh, this is what I'll say. What successful team uh, has an angry best player for two or three years? That, that doesn't happen. So... If the Jets want to play hardball, they can play hardball, but the player, and this is not just in Jamal Adams' case, it's, it's really relevant to every player of Jamal Adams' caliber, like that star level of player. Now, he could come to camp and say, look, I, I, you know, I love playing for Greg Williams. That's all true. Greg Williams loves having him as the centerpiece of his defense. That's true as well. Uh, but he won't be happy, and, and fans will say, but that doesn't really matter. Is he going to produce? Absolutely. I mean, anyone who knows anything about Jamal Adams, whether it's a teammate or a coach or former teammate or former coach, will tell you that he's not going to uh, – he's not going to loaf. You know, he's going to 
set a good example. He's going to work hard. He's going to uh, you know, provide the energy that he's always provided. But that being said, would Adams be less likely and less inclined to sign a long-term deal if the team has angered him so much? Uh, and again, I don't know the answer to any of this. I'm just looking at this you know, objectively and saying uh, if, the, if the Jets are going to try to screw him, again, for lack of a better phrase, then uh, what uh, reason would he have to commit uh, four or five more years in an extension with that team? I think there's no incentive there. And then it just gets uglier and uglier, and then ultimately you have to trade him. So if the Jets' desire is to play hardball and to, and to anger him to the point where he's just going to play in 2020 and then they're going to have to go through this all over again times 10 a year from now, uh, then they can certainly do that. But again, that doesn't really accomplish their goal. I'm not exactly sure what their goal is. I've heard the general manager say he wants Jamal Adams to be a Jet for life. And then when the heat gets turned on a little bit more a month or two later, he kind of dials that back and says he wants Jamal Adams to be around for a long time. It's actually very similar uh, to what Joe Douglas said about Robbie Anderson at the combine or after the season, at one of those two points, he called Robbie Anderson a great player, and then Robbie Anderson signed elsewhere and didn't sign for the offer that he had given the player. And then when asked about Robbie Anderson, he you know he dialed it down and said, "Well, Robbie Anderson's a good player." Uh, so I think uh, you know if the general manager is saying that this player. Uh, is someone he wants to be around for the remainder of his career. It's incumbent, frankly, upon him to get this deal done. Uh, and I'm not saying to get it done right now, uh, but uh, you know, at, at some point, sooner rather than later, uh, you have to pay your best players. It's a philosophical thing that I've always believed. And again, this goes back to Darrell Rivas. Uh, this goes back, well, probably Darrell Rivas, because the Jets really haven't had you know, that caliber of player that often recently in their history. But uh, if you have a guy that you invested a first-round pick, and yes, I know Joe Douglas wasn't the general manager. I know Adam Gase wasn't the head coach. Greg Williams wasn't even the defensive coordinator. But the organization, the Johnsons were still the owners at the time, I believe, when they drafted Jamal Adams uh, to be a, you know, part of the, the culture moving forward. And then this guy does nothing but deliver, and deliver at an extremely high level. He is far and away, we've discussed this guy, far and away their best player he's also uh, an ascending player in his early to mid-20s these are the types of foundation pieces that you need in your organization if you ever want to be successful if you ever truly want to be a winner and if you get a guy like that and it doesn't happen very often for you because you don't make good decisions as an organization uh, I don't understand the notion of not rewarding him and or, and or creating angst. I, I, don't, I don't get it. And again, I'm not saying that a deal needs to get done right now, uh, meaning late May, but uh, I, I think that they're, the way that things have been handled in the last week, uh, without getting into too many deal to, details because I'm not really privy, or not privy, I'm not really, a, uh, you know, have been given the green, green light to, to give too many details, but I, I think that the way that certain people in the organization have handled the last week uh, is a little bit disappointing. Uh, and, you know, extremely disappointing, frankly, when you're considering trying to keep things under wraps and trying to negotiate on the down low. Uh, I would say that there's you know, one particular person in the organization that uh, you know has handled things in a particularly disappointing manner. 
While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. I definitely want Jamal Adams to stay here long term, but I absolutely see Joe Douglas's point of view here because if he extends him right now, then it sets a precedent that could be dangerous down the line. And he has to put himself in a situation where he has a consistent set of standards so that everything flows smoothly. One of the biggest problems for Mike McCagnin was that he always rolled over and gave in and he can't put himself in a position to do that. So I do think that the prudent move here would be what Charles Robinson said, which is after 2021, sit down and get this deal done the same way that it was done for Khalil Mack and Aaron Donald. Is it possible that the Jets sit down with Adam's agent, maybe put together the parameters of something and say, this is something that wink, wink, nudge, nudge, we can kind of get on board with after the season, but we can't sign him right now. I'm not saying it would be said that way, but you know what I'm saying, Manish, something along those lines where they can get the general idea of a deal done, but it would be understood that it wouldn't go into effect until after this season. Well, I think there's a, a number of different ways that you can uh, handle a negotiation, uh, but in order for uh, you know, the scenario that you just outlined to play out, there has to be trust, implicit trust on both sides. Uh, I'm not sure that uh, they're there yet. I'm not saying they can't get there. But if you implicitly trust somebody, uh, then something like what you just said 
uh, can work. You know, typically it doesn't happen like that in these high-level negotiations, but I understand uh, you know, your underlying point. Mm-hmm. But again, none of that stuff can happen uh, unless you fully trust uh, the other side. And what I will say about uh, not setting a bad precedent, uh, I don't think paying, a, uh, what's Jamal, 24, 25 years old, uh, a 24, 25-year-old all-pro player, uh, quote-unquote, earlier than you typically would after three years would set a bad precedent only because players who are two-time pro bowlers and all pro players after their th- or three years into their career, uh, yeah, that that's an aberration. I, I mean, I, it's probably a great problem for Joe Douglas to have if he has all pro 24 or 25-year-olds knocking on his door after three years every year asking for an extension. The Jets must be doing something right if they're drafting and bringing in those types of players. But that's typically uh, not the case. Players like Jamal Adams don't come along very often, so you don't have to deal with these situations very often. Uh, You had mentioned Khalil Mack, Aaron Donald, all good examples uh, if you're the team to say, hey, look, these guys waited. Uh, You know, I'm not negotiating for Jamal Adams, but I would say, you know, most recently Christian McCaffrey, who was in the same top 10 as I was in my draft class, just got a deal after three years. So uh, I know there's more examples on the other side, but there are examples of top quality talent who get a deal after three years. And, uh, you know, it it, kind of depends on your perspective. It's easy to just marginalize Jamal Adams simply because of the position on the roster. He's a safety. So you can marginalize that as opposed to actually looking at the impact that he has on games and uh you know he obviously has a very big impact on games and i think deserves a contract uh extension after three years as opposed to waiting but uh anyway just getting back to what you originally said uh something like that can't happen if if there's a you know not full trust and again i i think as of right now uh i don't believe that there's full trust on both sides do you think this goes back to what happened at the trade deadline where Jamal Adams more or less said he didn't trust Joe Douglas because he felt that Douglas was shopping him behind his back? Uh, I, look, I can't get into Jamal Adams' mind or his head, uh, and I don't want to do that. Uh, but what I would say is that if I were in his position, that's the best way for me to answer it. I know how I would feel, and I'm not saying who's right and who's wrong. I have a fairly good idea of exactly what happened. I, I have a good understanding of how things transpired. But from Jamal's perspective, if I were in his position, if that were me, uh, I don't think I would have felt as strongly as, as Jamal did. But uh, I, I think that uh, even now there would be some you know, mistrust there. Just from my perspective, again, I, I don't want to speak on Jamal's behalf, and but I just I think everybody knows Jamal Adams is an emotional player. Uh, he's an emotional person. Uh, he, you know, he wears his emotions on his sleeve. That's fairly obvious. You know, you, you saw it time and time again last year, even in, in losing locker rooms. He was he was emotional when he got hurt. He was emotional, and that's just the kind of person he is right now. Maybe that's the kind of person he will be uh, forever. I'm not saying it's a good or a bad thing. Uh, you know, some guys change as they get older. I, I don't I don't know, but. Uh, you know, if I were in his position, uh, I, you know, I don't think I would fully trust the organization yet. Uh, but again, you know, I can't get into his head. But uh, what I can say is that I think it's, you know, it's pretty clear that he's an emotional guy by nature. 
ultimately, how do you think this resolves itself? Do you think Jamal ends up playing in 2020 for the Jets on his current contract? I guess if you're asking me at the end of May, I would guess, and this is strictly a guess, and with, with more information down the line, my opinion could change. But, I mean, I guess the way that things are right now, uh, I, I would anticipate that he uh, not even anticipate. I mean, I'm just I'm, I'm guessing with the climate right now, being the fact that they're no closer to a contract in theory than they were uh, when the off season began. I'm not sure if he'll participate in training camp fully. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. But then again, I don't know what the discussions will be from the end of May to uh, mid July or the end of July. Over the next two months, I don't know if. Uh, they get closer to an understanding. If they do, perhaps things change. But if if things remain uh, the status quo and they're really nowhere close in philosophy to getting a deal done, uh, I, I would I would guess that he would not show up for training camp. Let's hope that's not what happens, Manish. Nobody wants another Revis situation. So fingers crossed that it actually ends up getting resolved in a less painful way sometime between now and training camp, or at least now and the start of the 2020 season. We're going to talk more tomorrow because we've got a lot to say about Sam Darnold and particularly the quarterback position. So part two of Midweek with Manish tomorrow. In the meantime, make sure that you're reading Manish in the Daily News and following him on Twitter. If you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could go ahead and do that for us, really appreciate it. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. It doesn't take much time. It doesn't cost you any money, but it does a lot to help us out. So if you could do that for us, we would be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.